Hi everyone and welcome to the Thursday, May 20th installment of the Silicon Insider. Yes, a day early this week. The only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone and I'm here with our special contributor, Scott Budman of NBC Bay Area. Our producer is Jordan Henderson and our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove. Our host, as always, is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, Scott. Well, <laughs> Things are getting wackier and wackier. Uh, let's start with the economy. Yeah, it's an interesting time for our economy, and I don't just mean this because of the craziness of crypto. Yes. Our regular We'll get economic, to that in a minute. Yeah, I mean, even the regular things um, are a little out of whack, and I imagine it's because we're coming back quickly from the pandemic, but not as quickly as some businesses would like. Yeah, and not on all fronts. It's sort of weird. Certain areas of the economy, employment, especially seem to be going fast in some places and not moving at all. Some people are not coming back to work yet. I mean, it's not a normal running and we're not hitting on all eight cylinders. That's for sure. Very correct. And, and there are factors that this pandemic has left in place that we can't ignore. For example, a lot of restaurants and coffee shops, uh, small businesses putting up the, Hey, we're hiring again. Yeah. As if to say, happy days are here again. We're paying above minimum wage because yep. we need people back. But what they're not taking into account is, hey, this pandemic left a lot of people without childcare. It left right. a lot of people with young kids at home, uh, still on their computers, still on yeah. Zoom. You're not going to work if the schools aren't open. Right. And it left a lot of people um, a little bitter about the jobs that suddenly shut down. And granted, not right. on their own accord. It was sure. our sort of planned recession. But uh, people aren't jumping right back to their jobs. And it's understandable in a lot of ways. We've adjusted our way of life to something different. Good way of putting it. And it's going to be hard. To, I mean, you're out there still in the world, but your your job has been weird too, right? I mean, you can't go in the newsroom, right? you know, and that sort of thing. Everybody I know around here, they've got their kids at home, even from high school, and they've been working at home. They, they're doing Zoom calls for eight hours a day. This is their new world. This is the way life is now. And they're not ready quite yet, psychologically, I don't think, to go back to the office and do all the office stuff. Right. So we have a weird dichotomy where a lot of people are saying, hey, it's time to spend money again. It's time to go out and it's time well, to have hey, those sort of roaring 20s. The ones who are out there are burning money fast. <laughs> right. But uh, some of the jobs are saying, OK, we're not ready for the big crowds yet because of what we just talked yeah, about. Exactly. So it, it may put the comeback make it a little more of a gradual comeback instead of a, hey, let's just go out there and spend all this money that we have. Yeah, and I also think you have a choice between buying, going to a furniture store or buying furniture on Amazon. Right now, I still think you're going to Amazon because you're not going to want to drive out to that furniture store and do all that. We're no longer accustomed to that. So I think the online guys are actually going to do better for a while here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think restaurants, I think home deliveries, you're going to spend more money on home de home delivery, but you're not necessarily going to go to restaurants for a while. Right. There are plenty of people, myself included, that are fully vaccinated but still cautious about yes. hopping back out there. And uh, and yet, we still want to support small business. So it may be a takeout thing or a pickup thing for a while, even though the business is saying, hey, we got the tables ready. Right. Um, so come on back. But when will people be ready to do that? And when will the restaurants be staffed up enough to handle a big load? We don't know. Okay, let's say I've got tickets to a Giants game right now. Are you gonna go? Um, 
you know, it's funny, I, it's, it's been so long and I miss sports so badly. I might go because it's outside. Okay, how about the Warriors? You right. know, Steph Curry is setting every record. He's probably going to be <laughs> it, in, uh, MVP and everything else. Will you go into an arena? We are privileged to be able to watch Steph Curry. Yes. Um, but I have not done anything inside yet. Yeah. So outside. Especially school, large crowds. Right. So I, I may have to wait on that a little bit. Okay. See, see that's it. Yes. Yeah. We ought to do a psychological survey. I mean, if you ever were going to try to get Warriors tickets in the past, this would be the season. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, home prices up. I, I get, you know, I get these real, I don't know about you, but I'm just getting flooded with real estate notices because all the realtors, you know, this is their moment. And uh, compare, they, they do year to year prices. It's up about 15, 20% in Sunnyvale at least. Yeah, as we speak right now, and I checked just this morning, the National Association of Realtors says California is a record high for medium prices, above $800,000. The Bay Area at a record high, $1.3 million. <laughs> San Francisco County, $1.8 million. Santa Clara County, $1.7 million. Median. Median, yes. Right. And well, again, it, this is pandemic-related because there's still not all that much inventory out there. Right. Um, but... Boy, for those who are Little selling. summer hits, and everybody hits the road and all of that. It's going to be crazy around here. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if prices stay that high or if inventory floods the market because all these people who are waiting on the sidelines to sell, which I don't know why they would wait. It's certainly a seller's market right, right now, you know, put their houses out there. You know, I thought, okay, everyone's going to try to get out of California. The moment they, you know, they drop the flag now and you're allowed to go out, this, there's going to be a flood of people leaving the valley. And yet, what I and I also thought a lot of people are just sick of being in their homes. They got to be tired of their homes. They know every flaw in their homes after being <laughs> stuck there for 14 months. What are they doing? I've never seen so much construction on houses. You know, ex everybody's adding rooms, and it's unbelievable the amount of you know work being done. I think every other house in my neighborhood is being worked on right now. Well, doesn't that lead us to a couple of conclusions? One, it's really expensive to buy a house. I mean, if I said, well, I'm going to sell my house for a profit, it still wouldn't be enough to buy. Yeah, but you can still go to Austin and be the prince of Austin if you sell a $3 million house here. True, but if you stay here, um, which... You're not upgrading. You're not upgrading houses. You're fixing your own. Right, so you're yeah. upgrading your own house. Uh, right. Maybe because, and we've seen a lot of companies saying, hey, you can not only work from home a couple days a week, but some companies even saying indefinitely. Yeah. So now that you, like you say, you've been at home and you've seen the flaws, and maybe one of the flaws is it's too loud when I do a Zoom meeting, but I'm going to be doing this for the foreseeable future. Let's I want to upgrade. Let's build a Zoom room. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I think it's also, no matter how much money you put into your house, you're going to get it back in spades. I mean... You, you spend $100,000, $200,000 on a new new bedroom to the house. It's going to come back to you. There's not that fear that I'm going to overinvest in my house and that I'm going to take a bath on it. Well, at least in the short term. We don't know where the yeah, market is. Well, we might see another 2008. But right. It's, it's the short term looks really strong, even as California's population drops for the first time in a long time. Yeah. Okay. And inflation. Inflation numbers are getting scary now. You know, like the worst in 14 years. And even Janet Yellen seems to be noticing that things are getting kind of expensive right now. I don't know if you see the meme of the guy with the pickup truck with four sheets of plywood in the back bed. And, you know, the caption is showing off, you know, because <laughs> go buy a sheet of plywood right now. Right. Go buy a two by four. If you go buy a gallon of milk or some eggs, everything yeah. has gone up in price. 
And that's the kind of thing that you know makes everybody a little more fearful. And if you're noticing that your grocery bill is going up and things are starting to cost more, that hits the bottom line of the sort of mad money. And maybe we'll see that reflected in the markets. Yeah, which... I mean, we were talking about inflation theoretically just three or four weeks ago, mm -hmm. you and I, and now you feel it, you see it everywhere. You feel it in your, in your wallet, particularly. Well, look, at the, the, the top of the show, you said, restaurants are having a tough time getting people back. So they're boosting the minimum wage, good for them. Yep. We need more buying power. But if people have more money, they may go to their bosses and say, I want more money because that guy's got more money. So yep. then you have to charge more to the individual who's the shopper right. in order to pay your workers. Boom, there you have inflation. So it's because we've raised the minimum wage to a large extent and in all sorts of wages that we're seeing this. And um, it's not entirely unhealthy, but we know that inflation can be dangerous to an economy. It can be very dangerous. Okay. Now let's go to the other big news of the week. I'm not even sure what, what this news means, but uh, we talked about last week being a crazy week for crypto. Mm -hmm. We may have matched it this week. <laughs> okay, so I'm still confused. You were on the ground covering this day by day, but basically the whole crypto world seemed to collapse on Wednesday. Is that a correct assessment of the situation? Yeah, from Tuesday to Wednesday of this week, we saw huge drops. And it was, it didn't seem that there was any one thing happening. Remember, it was earlier, uh, you know, by about a week that Elon Musk tweeted out that Tesla would no longer accept Bitcoins. Yes. Which in the grand scheme of things, we don't know if Tesla ever accepted Bitcoins. Right. Who's going to buy a car with crypto? That's a different issue. But just the sort of, hey, we're pulling back on this a little bit. And Elon Musk pulling back made a lot of people head to the exits. Um, and again, this is not one of those investments that you put your kid through college on yeah. and live out your golden years. This is a day-to-day -day speculative trade. And it went from about you know, 45, if we, if we ever find out that Elon shorted any of this stuff, he's going to prison. I mean, his tweets alone, I can't imagine, are not front and center at the SEC right now. It has to be. He's moving the market on a daily basis. Right. So the the price of Bitcoin, we'll focus on that, went from about 47000 a coin to 30000 a coin. Now, let's put it in perspective. Last year, it was 7000 Yes. Got and, up to forty. Well, it got up to, to in the 60s. Got up to 60. It right. got up to 65000 65, in yeah. mid-April. And it has fallen 41% to... 38,000, but it got as low as 30,000. Right. And then when it was at 30,000, Musk tweeted again. Yeah. Kind of a cryptic way of saying Tesla is still holding its Bitcoin, um, which, again, it seems that, meaningless to me, but it's enough to bring really, people back. That really sounds like market manipulation. Very much so. Um, again, I'm really surprised the SEC, If I would be surprised if the SEC is not looking into this because the price went almost immediately from 30 to 40. That's a huge jump. Yeah. And again, this is something that a lot of people want to see as an actual currency. Yes. Imagine if you're paying for something, <laughs> yeah. a car, a house, something with Bitcoin, yeah. the price drops 50%. So you've either overpaid or underpaid exactly. by 50%, depending on which side of the transaction. In then jumping from 30 to 40 <laughs> in a day. Right, in a day. I mean, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> and that makes this just so speculative. And I can't urge anyone enough, and you've heard me as a broken record, don't jump into this if you have any need of any money in your account. I mean, this is just crazy yeah. stuff. Well, I guess um, Coinbase got hit too. I mean, 
the idea that you can you can insulate yourself from market swings by going to this trading platform apparently isn't true. We're, we're sort of have a different set of physics here, yeah. financial physics in the in the crypto world that we do in the normal world. I think the Coinbase trade might have been overblown. I mean, the price just may be too high. And again, this was a direct listing. It's still it's a recent IPO, still trying to find its range. Right. But all those trades, whether buying or selling, went through Coinbase. But I think the confidence that crypto will be around for the long term fell as the price of Bitcoin and Doge fell, oh, which means think so. people think, okay, they think a little less of Coinbase. I don't think crypto is going away anytime soon. No, but uh, Grove sent me this comment. Both crypto and market experts tell CNBC that this is the new normal of investing and traders should just get used to it. Well, the okay. new normal of investing. Well, the new normal is a scary term. Yes. You know, and I hope everybody out there who's thinking, of, especially those high school kids buying Dogecoin, I think they should hearken to those those three words, the new normal. If this kind of insanity and volatility is going to be daily life, you know, right. in the financial markets, well, we're in for a really bumpy ride. Well, and that's what I tell the young people, say, at the station who want to jump into this. I say, this is not investing. It really isn't. No, no. Investing isn't checking every hour and, you know, clutching your heart if there's a $10,000 drop in a cryptocurrency. That... So it gives you a clue what it's like to be in a company where that just went IPO yeah. in the last week and you're looking at your shares of stock. Productivity in, in companies <laughs> that have just gone public goes right through the through the in the toilet because everybody's sitting there watching the price of their stock on their screens in their offices. This is what it's going to be like throughout the economy from now on. Well, I don't know. Is it really throughout the economy? I mean, prices aren't falling like this in right. most equities. They're just not. True. Um, you know, we're seeing inflation but the creep. You know, everybody knows that, that casinos, they're, they've set the odds against you. You're going to lose in the long run. And yet, the casinos are filled, right? True. When people can be taking that money and investing it, you know, in art or antiques or financial instruments, T-bills, but no, they're blowing it on the crap table. Well, isn't, right now, isn't crypto the crap table yes. of the economy? Yes, and it's a good analogy. This is gambling, it's not investing. Absolutely. You know, if you're investing, you're buying dividend-paying, boring stocks for the long term, or you're not even buying stocks. You're investing in, you know, gold or something that's just going to be safe so that yeah. your future is safe or, hey, someday I'll buy a house or someday I'll put a kid through college. Um, I don't think the people who are buying <laughs> cryptocurrency or for that yeah. matter are on Robinhood trading yeah. AMC. 22-year-olds aren't stock. thinking about the mortgage. Right. What they're thinking about is, hey, I've got a little extra money in the bank, whether it's because of stimulus Let's or Let's go whatever. for the brass ring. Right. And that only happens when the economy is strong. In 2008, people weren't saying, hey, what speculative thing can I buy right now? Yeah. They're thinking, I've got to up my LinkedIn page because yeah. I need a job. I exactly. need to make my rent. And so we're in a, a special, unusual, sparkly time right now. Um, enjoy it, young people, but don't blow all your money because eventually you're going to want to have some sort of a stash. Yeah. That's just how things work. Yeah, Sissy's going to need braces in about 30 years. <laughs> Okay, uh, okay. we saw President Biden yesterday driving around showing off the new uh, electric Ford 150. Okay, I drive an F-150. I can see how. Would you buy an electric one? Well, not yet. Okay. <laughs> Though it's got the torque, and torque is, you know, that's what counts with a pickup truck. Anyway, that looks good on TV. 
try buying an F-150 right now, the chip shortage, and they say it's going to last a couple of years now. We sort of predicted that because it's going to take that long to get fabs back online. Right. So F-150s aren't being built or they're built, being built very slowly. And like I said, there's got to be buyers out there who are looking for chips in any little corner they can find them and bidding them up and even taking ones that are slightly flawed, that are not flawed in the area that they're going to be used for. Yeah, this really hits at a bad time, this chip shortage, because you have a couple factors that are going in a good direction um, for, say, an F-150 EV launch. You have people who have a little extra money. I mean, wouldn't this be a historic moment otherwise? Yeah, I mean, they're saying, hey, we've got money, we want to buy cars, and, um, you know, there's an environmental movement going on. Let's face it, people yeah. are looking at cars like the Bolt and the Teslas and the, you know, the, the Leafs, and right. they're saying these cars are fine. Yeah, they hold my family. The well, range is getting better. We see them every day by the thousands around here, around and here. we have for the last four years, five years. We're accustomed to it. There's no novelty. We're not frightened by trying something that's unproven. It's real. It's part of our lives. Right. And as the range goes up, and I think that still needs to go higher yeah. gradually, but as that happens, there's really nothing you're giving up with an EV, and the prices are starting to come down to where they're pretty much basic, you know, gas car versus EV car. And so this is a good time to launch an EV truck because that's really where we need to go. Right. Trucks are A, super popular, and B, they pollute a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's the best-selling car in America. Exactly. And so why not EV it? Um, and it's too bad that they won't be able to make them as fast as... Well, it's going to be another Tesla experience. Put your money down and we'll deliver your F-150 in uh, you know 18 months. Uh, uh, yeah. On the battery front, I've been studying batteries a lot lately, and uh, we'll talk about it sometime. But there's some very interesting things happening there. Yes. And they're happening in Silicon Valley, interestingly. Um, okay, this was a wild one. I think a glimpse of the future. Facebook took down a pro-Israel page last week, which I think has 10 million. It's called the uh, Jerusalem Prayer Team page. Tens of millions of followers, and it was shut down, shut down last Friday after it was flooded with comments from people who allegedly wanted to take it offline. And it turned out to be like a million people complaining, and then it turned out that most of them were coming from the Gaza Strip and then they traced down the people that supposedly filed the complaints, and most of them said they knew nothing about it. Uh, and a lot of this stuff was, you know, photos of Hitler and anti-Semitic stuff and all that. So it looks like a mass virtual protest by not real, by virtual people. Bots. But you know, bots yeah. shutting down a giant page. And I, as I read this, I thought, well, that's nasty but it's also i think another glimpse of the future that you can structure these things now that they're figuring out that you can bully facebook and twitter with enough complaints now they're beginning to structure these mass you know phony complaints and it's going to start influencing our institutions that way yeah and that was part of what the remember the um the outside sort of council to rule on Facebook had said yeah. that you know decisions like this seem um, like they're happening randomly, and they were saying Facebook can't do this randomly because that's just yeah. inviting controversy on top of controversy. It needs to have some hard, fast rules and stick to them, and it needs to do a better job at policing the bots uh, yes. because it's one thing to say we're responding to real people who have real concerns on a very divisive political issue. But it's another thing to say, well, 
you know, AI has just gotten so good or the bots have gotten so plentiful that we're going to respond to them and there's yeah. no real them there. Yeah. Why are we listening to bots? Right, and, and that's a problem. It's been a problem on Twitter. It's been a problem on Facebook for some time. Um, and uh, it, it, that doesn't go away unless and until Facebook figure out, figures out how to deal with it in less than, or in something other than a whack-a-mole style. Yes, well, you know, this raises a larger philosophical issue, I think, which is, you know, I'm, I'm a true Jeffersonian Democrat. You know, I believe in the people, but if, does this say something about crowdsourcing? That we've, this idea that the internet's gonna be so much better because we have an army of Davids out there doing stuff, and we can crowdsource to people, and we let the vox populi decide what's you know correct. But we're beginning to discover that that can be that can be sabotaged. It can be it can be you know used for purposes that the crowd doesn't really want. I mean, can we trust crowdsourcing anymore? We'll get to we'll get to Wikipedia in a minute here, but isn't that? something to be concerned about in the future, that we're, we're relying so much on this democratic ideal of the internet, and it's being subverted all over the place now. The bad guys are winning. Well, you know, I mean, if, if, if by bad guys you mean bots, yeah. Um, but Well, the guys behind the bots. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what you need to police, because you're really not responding to the wisdom of the crowd if somebody in that crowd knows how to program a computer better uh -huh. than the other crowd. Exactly. Um, and so that's what needs to be policed. I think the idea of an army of Davids is kind of interesting. Well, it's always appealing. Yeah, but it, it's not really an army of Davids if one of those Davids is better at is programming it, it, bots. Is a Silicon Goliath. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and therefore, uh, that's what they need to do is, is focus on what the people want instead of who can program the most bots to well, make the most Well, then you better noise. be able to separate the people from the non-people. Exactly. You know, I, I, I just sense we need almost need a new type of law enforcement, you know, that can respond fast and quickly. It has all the tools to do it. I mean, we've given it to the FBI and that sort of thing. But, you know, like we created Space Force, maybe we need some sort of, you know, cyberspace law enforcement in a serious way. Yeah, and we're getting, we're taking small steps in that direction. But... Everybody from lawmakers to businesses underestimates the threat of cyber terrorism yeah. at their own peril. And so it's always taken us a long time. We're to always catch two up. steps behind right. the, the, yeah, the criminals. Okay, next uh, Intel. Intel's been in the news a lot. Uh, Intel shareholders did something really interesting uh, yesterday. They didn't improve, they didn't approve the executive compensation plan for its officers. Now, usually that's a you know rubber stamp kind of thing done at the annual meeting, and they didn't improve it. I mean, it it says something about how angry shareholders are at Intel's performance over the last year. But doesn't this handcuff uh, Gelsinger in his attempts to turn the place around? I mean, he go, he goes out, and he's hiring the best and the brightest, all these ex-Intelers, and. I'm sure he's offering them stock and he's offering them, you know, great compensation packages. And now it's like, no, you don't get to do that anymore. So will he be able to execute the Intel turnaround the way he thinks he can at this point? I don't know. I mean, whenever a company struggles both with results and with just relevance, right. these are the kind of dominoes that fall. Oh, sure. But don't you usually punish the prior CEO? Before, and, and, Drive that person out and well, they did. Punish that the, person has no job, right? Yes, but you, you, you 
you punish the whole company during that person's tenure. When you bring in the turnaround guy, you usually try to incentivize them. It's like getting that ball player. You know, you, you pay them extra bucks to turn the team around, get it out of the basement. True, but a, a wealthy owner can do that. A shareholder that's been burned or that yeah, feels it's like... Just, it's just pissed off. Exactly, and, and I don't really know where this goes, but I can understand the shareholders are just... Oh, I can too. You know, they're, they're ticked and they want to see results, and maybe when they see results... They'll greenlight some some bigger packages. Well, maybe Gelsinger should have told them that it was going to take three or five years to get those fabs built right. to turn things around. Okay, and finally, you sent me this one: uh, the Google Developers Conference. Tell me about conversational AI. This was one of the fascinating things to come out of the Developers Conference, and and most of it was aimed at developers and not necessarily the public just yet. But you know, Google is really trying to be a more public-facing company, and one of the interesting things about a search update was the idea that they, and they've been working on this a little bit, the idea that you can sort of talk to a restaurant without anyone being on the other line, or that you can have Google talk to the restaurant for you using AI. Now, they example, the example was they brought up Pluto, and you can actually talk to your phone or your laptop, wherever there's a mic, and use the search results to come back and say, hey, Pluto, how old are you? You know, it's almost like a more advanced Siri. So okay. you don't have to type anything in, but the AI And it's will... doing a search in real time right. while you're asking the question. Right, and so it's, it's kind of an interesting way to say the platform is going to change, uh, especially I think it's, it's a nod towards mobile. Right. Because it's one thing to type something in on a laptop, um, it's something else on a phone, which stays small. Right. Uh, but to talk, which we're used to doing into our mobile devices, and to have it come back and say, well, here's all the information you want, Okay. Uh, was kind of fascinating, and it shows that Google is still very committed to search, which is sure. good for its shareholders because it makes a pile of money, but also that it's even moving more towards mobile, I think. Okay, so the, the Google succeeded in the search wars. It won because it gave non-weighted answers. That was the appeal over Ask Jeeves and all that, was that Google gave it to you straight. But as the years have gone by, Google's answers, its search results, have gotten more and more weighted to advertisers. Mm -hmm. So it's not as trustworthy as it was. But you can get around that by you know, going down the search page further. If you're getting a single answer from a voice on, on this, on this uh, conversational AI, how weighted are those answers going to be? How much will you be able to trust them? That's a great question because imagine if Google was just giving you one answer. You would wonder, hey, wait a minute, I'm used to getting so many that I can't possibly keep up. And uh, that's a good question. And it wasn't really brought up because they didn't talk about, hey, this is going to be something that advertisers pay for. Yeah. But we all know that's how Google makes its money. Well, even if they, you don't, they don't pay for it, they're, you're still gonna, they're still paying for the search results. So you say, hey, I'm interested. Let's go back to F-150s. Right. I'm interested in, uh, in getting a pickup truck. You know, Google, what do you think? And they go, give me, give me some, you know, good ideas. They go, have you tried the new Ford F one hundred and fifty EV? It's a revolutionary new product. Okay, so now I'm getting, I'm getting screwed again. Okay, my first reaction when I read this was, oh, this is a Wikipedia killer. I mean, Google basically goes around and picks caches of information and destroys them, absorbs them. It's the Borg. So is this their attempt to get people? not to go to Wikipedia and spend time there. Of course, we don't trust Wikipedia anymore either. 
Right, because I mean, every, it's been subverted. Every search tactic is supposed to be a Wikipedia killer, but Wikipedia is still around. Still I think we around. just take it with a grain of salt. Um, well, I, we've learned to adapt to it. Yeah. Anything political or contemporary, don't trust it. Anything deal, dealing with, you know, Byzantium in, in thirteen hundred, <laughs> you could probably trust, right? I mean, that's how we deal with Wikipedia. Right. And if you are on a machine that gives you links. Uh, and you Google something, you know, you can click those links. Right. If you're just talking to your phone, much like Siri, yeah. um, you know, you're going to get a smaller lineup of answers, a smaller queue of choices, and that's just how mobile works, right? Right. It's a smaller screen. We're talking to it. We're not actively searching as much. And yeah, that's a risk. Absolutely. And I can Google actually give you a straight answer that's not weighted because it's the search engine is now completely devoted to, you know, weighted searches it can't create another google just for this that's completely trustworthy no it wouldn't and so it's going to give you maybe the top answer and if there's a video component involved you can bet it's going to say hey by the way when you get a chance yeah check out the check video. me out on youtube yeah you know that's i think that's the way of the world yeah that's the way of the world i'm afraid the new normal we're back to that <laughs> yes. okay that's it for now folks you can find us on the silicon valley business journal homepage as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, and of course, YouTube. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.